Hello, everyone, and welcome to the July 23rd edition of the WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with the WorkComp Academy. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. It is at least the second time a workers' compensation judge in New Jersey has ruled in favor of an injured worker who asked his employer to provide medical marijuana. The judge ordered that Freehold Township must pay for medical marijuana for its employee Stephen McNary, who suffers from muscular spasticity. The ruling rejected an insurance carrier's objections stemming from the drug's status as an illegal controlled substance under federal law. A lawyer for the carrier, PMA Group, argued that New Jersey's medical marijuana law is preempted by federal law designating it as illegal. And the lawyer also cited a recent ruling from the Maine Supreme Court holding that an insurance carrier cannot be ordered to pay for marijuana when it is prohibited to do so under federal law. The lawyers have not yet decided whether they will appeal the decision. The judge declined to follow the Maine Supreme Court's June ruling in Burgoyne v. Twin Rivers paper, which cited the conflict between Maine's medical marijuana law and the Federal Controlled Substances Act. The Maine Supreme Court ruling discusses at length the penalties an employer and insurance company could face for violating the Controlled Substances Act and reversed the order to pay for medical marijuana in Maine. The judge in the Freehold case said that both state and federal drug laws are intended to curb the distribution and use of illicit drugs and curtail drug-related crime. So, he did not think the New Jersey Medical Marijuana Act is in conflict with the federal law. He could not understand how a carrier who will never possess, never distribute, never intend to distribute the products, and who will merely sign a check into an attorney's trust account, is in any way complicit with the distribution of illegal narcotics. The ruling in McNary v. Township of Freehold is at least the second time in which a workers' compensation judge in New Jersey ordered an employer to pick up the bill for medical marijuana used by an injured worker. In December 2016, another judge ordered the carrier for 84 lumber to pay for medical marijuana used by Andrew Watson, who suffered a hand injury on the job. The insurance carrier for 84 lumber did not appeal that ruling. The California Court of Appeal affirmed a restitution order to the roommate of an employer following her fraud conviction. Cynthia Ann Smith owned and operated a flower shop in Menlo Park. A multi-agency task force investigated her business in 2015 and discovered that she failed to pay correct workers' compensation insurance premiums and related payroll taxes over the course of several years. Smith pled no contest to count one, which was workers' compensation fraud, and count 14, failure to collect, account, or pay over required tax amounts, pursuant to a negotiated settlement. It was agreed she would not be sentenced to state prison. She would be granted probation with a maximum of 90 days to be served in county jail, and that all other counts and allegations would be dismissed. <clears throat> and the amount of restitution would be reserved and determined by the court 
and the court would consider reducing felony accounts 1 and 14 to misdemeanors and terminating probation upon full payment of restitution. At the restitution hearing, Smith stipulated to restitution amounts awarded to the EDD, to FTD Company, and a State Farm Insurance Company. But Smith contested amounts claimed by James Waldschmidt, who claimed over $100,000 in restitution. Waldschmidt testified that he met Smith in a bar in San Carlos in 2014. She offered him a place to live at her home in Menlo Park, a full-time job as a driver, and a rate of pay starting at $10 an hour. Waldschmidt totaled his work hours weekly and gave Smith a copy of the wage statement, but he says he was never paid and claimed $45,000 for unpaid work and overtime. The court ordered Smith to pay Waldschmidt $15,000 in restitution for unpaid wages, including overtime hours, less an offset of $800 in unpaid rent, for a total of $14,200 plus interest. Smith appealed the restitution order, and the Court of Appeal affirmed in the unpublished case of People v. Cynthia Ann Smith. It ruled that a court may use any rational method of fixing the amount of restitution which is reasonably calculated to make the victim whole and which is consistent with the purpose of rehabilitation. Even though the amount was contested, the record does not indicate the court awarded anything in excess of the victim's actual economic losses. The court concluded that Smith failed to raise an arguable issue. In our crime report, two local physicians were indicted by a federal grand jury as part of Operation Spinal Cap which targeted a long-running health care fraud scheme that generated $1 billion in fraudulent claims. The scheme involved more than $40 million in illegal kickbacks paid to doctors and other medical professionals in exchange for referring thousands of patients who received surgeries and other services at the Pacific Hospital of Long Beach. This indictment involved 66-year-old Jacob Tauber of Beverly Hills, who is an orthopedic surgeon, and 62-year-old Serge Obukov of Malibu, who is a neurosurgeon. Both were charged for their roles in receiving illegal kickbacks. Jacob Tauber is currently listed as a QME with offices in Beverly Hills, Glendale, and Palm Desert. According to the 65-page indictment, the kickbacks involved Dr. Philip Sobal, who would receive remuneration to induce his referral of patients potentially requiring surgery to a stable of doctors, including Tauber and Obukov. Both of them allegedly knew of Sobal's kickback arrangement with Pacific Hospital and would facilitate that arrangement by performing surgery on Sobal referrals at Pacific Hospital. The illegal kickback and bribe payments would be provided to Dr. Sobal under the guise of pharmacy and option agreements. In the same indictment, Tauber was separately charged with receiving illegal payments to refer urinalysis specimens to a specific lab. 
And a Corona physician pleaded not guilty to charges of felony workers' compensation insurance fraud and perjury. But the judge ruled he can continue to practice medicine while his case proceeds. 42-year-old Dr. Sanjoy Banerjee entered into pleas in Riverside County Superior Court and is free on bond with his next court date set for August 16. Banerjee is listed as a QME in pain management with offices in Wildomar and Corona. The Superior Court judge turned down a request from the California Medical Board to keep Banerjee from practicing medicine until his case is resolved. The state's recommendation to suspend his practice said that his alleged conduct is not only unprofessional, but also dangerous and invinces poor character, a lack of integrity, and an inability or unwillingness to follow the law. But Banerjee's attorney countered that the medical board had failed to meet the basic threshold of showing a logical connection between the allegations of insurance fraud and perjury and Banerjee's fitness or competence to practice medicine. The Riverside District Attorney's Office has charged the QME with two counts of workers' compensation, insurance fraud, and five counts of perjury. An investigation conducted by the DA's Bureau of Investigation found that Dr. Banerjee allegedly illegally self-referred workers' comp patients to a clinical laboratory and an office-based surgical center he owned. Dr. Banerjee allegedly billed more than $180,000 for urine toxicology testing and epidural injections through that laboratory and surgical center. Dr. Banerjee also reportedly signed at least five doctor's reports, declaring under penalty of perjury he had not referred patients to his own companies. Banerjee referred some of his workers' compensation patients to his business, Rochester Imperial Surgical Center, which is located in a patient exam room inside the Pacific Pain Care Office Suite in Wildemar. And 75-year-old John Thomas Terrence of Marina Del Rey pleaded guilty to health care fraud involving a scheme to defraud the California workers' comp insurance system. The clinical psychologist saw patients in Bakersfield by Skype, generated reports for each patient that were virtually word-for-word identical and then submitted identical bills to the insurance companies. His co-defendants, 41-year-old Behar Garib Danesh of Woodland Hills and 44-year-old Na Young Yo of Bakersfield, were chiropractors working at the same company. They previously pleaded guilty to health care fraud charges in this case. According to a federal indictment, Garib Danesh was a chiropractor and the manager of Pain Relief Health Centers headquartered in Los Angeles, with clinics in Bakersfield, Visalia, and Fresno, as well as in Los Angeles County. Na Young Yo was also a chiropractor and was the treating physician for its Kern County workers' compensation claims. The pain centers recruited patients who were workers claiming to have industrial injury. Garib instructed her staff to add as many injured body parts for treatment as possible to generate higher billings. The treatment plan generally included shockwave therapy, electrostimulation therapy, myofacial release massage, physical therapy, 
chiropractic manipulation, compound creams, and psychological evaluation. Nearly every patient was scheduled for the same treatments and the maximum amount of treatments allowed by law was generally billed to the insurance companies. Garib directed EO to refer all patients who came into the clinic to John Thomas Terrence for a psychological evaluation, regardless of the injury the patient reported. Terrence submitted bills and reports for each patient that were virtually identical. Terrence provided each patient with about 20.8 hours of psychological evaluations in a single day and on one day, Dr. Terrence billed a total of 291.2 hours for treating 14 patients. That's in one day. In one period of two weeks, Terrence billed over 1,000 hours treating patients and writing reports. Terrence submitted claims for psychological services and workers' compensation cases totaling in excess of $5.6 million. And a stunning investigative report published by the Los Angeles Times provides several examples of Los Angeles police officers and firefighters filing what the Times claims are exaggerated or outright fake skin and contents workers' compensation claims. In one example, the Times reports that former LAPD officer Jonathan Hall ended his career the way many veteran officers do these days. He claimed job-related injuries across most of his body, saying he injured his knees, hips, heart, high blood pressure, back, right shoulder, and even his right middle finger. But the ailments had existed for months, and in some cases years, and had not previously prevented him from working. Hall said in a recent interview that he was burned out, the target of an internal affairs investigation, and desperate to avoid going back to the station. Hall's timing raised suspicion, and he was soon videotaped leading scuba dives and lifting heavy equipment despite his alleged injuries. But according to the Los Angeles Times, he is far from alone in asserting so many parts of his body had been injured on the job. In fact, claims involving at least five injured body parts have become by far the most common in California according to a data analysis of millions of workers' compensation cases spanning nearly three decades. In the past, injuries to a single body part, a knee, a shoulder, or the low back, were the most prevalent. The strategy is common among veteran cops and firefighters who get up to a year off at their full salary, tax-free, for each job-related injury their doctor diagnoses. Their employers also pay the associated medical bills and often a hefty cash settlement based on the extent and severity of the injuries. Thousands of such claims have been filed by participants in Los Angeles's controversial Deferred Retirement Option Plan. That's the acronym DROP as it is known. DROP allows veteran cops and firefighters to collect their salaries and pensions simultaneously for the last five years of their careers. A Times investigation in February found that nearly half of the people who have joined the program since its inception in 2002 subsequently went out on injury leave at nearly twice their normal pay. As an example, 
Former Los Angeles fire captain John Kitchens was paid more than $1.5 million while on the DROP program, $645,000 of that in extra pension payments, despite missing more than a year and a half on injury and sick leave. Despite his health issues, Captain Kitchens was able to travel to the Galapagos Islands to dive with hammerhead sharks, according to what he posted on his Facebook page. And in another unrelated fraud story, a former civilian employee of the Los Angeles Police Department pleaded guilty to one felony count of insurance fraud. Gerald Ray Pulley had been on temporary disability leave and was cleared to go back to work in 2017, but he did not return to his job. Instead, Pulley returned to his other job working as a security guard while continuing to receive disability benefits from the police department. Pulley, who worked as a senior clerk typist, will have the charge reduced to a misdemeanor if he pays restitution and does 50 hours of community service as part of the negotiated plea agreement. Pulley resigned from the LAPD in March. The case was investigated by the Los Angeles Police Department's Special Operations Division Workers' Compensation Fraud Unit. And in regulatory news, the Workers' Compensation Appeals Board has approved new and updated subpoena forms which are posted on the DWC website and will also be made available at the district offices. There are two types of subpoenas. The first is simply called a subpoena and it compels a person to testify before a court or other legal authority. The second is called a subpoena ducis tecum. It requires a person to produce documents, materials, or other tangible evidence. Subpoenas can also be used to compel the attendance of a witness or the production of documents at a deposition. The subpoena is DWC WCAB Form 30, and the new form for a subpoena ducis tecum is DWC WCAB Form 32. Both a subpoena and a subpoena ducis tecum require personal service of the subpoena on the witness, which should be accomplished by a registered process server or a peace officer. There are alternatives, such as when the witness agrees to accept the subpoena in some other way, or to voluntarily appear and produce at the court proceeding. But service of subpoenas may be costly and time-consuming. So, uh, an alternative to actually physically serving a subpoena on a party is a process known as notice to appear or notice to produce. The WCAB Rules of Practice and Procedures, Section 10532, provides that a notice to appear or produce is permissible in proceedings before the WCAB, but it can only be used on a party to the record of any civil action or anyone who is an officer, director, or managing agent of such a party or person. All others must be served with a formal subpoena. And in medical news, an experimental osteoarthritis drug developed by Pfizer and Eli Lilly achieved its main goal of lowering pain in a late-stage clinical trial, potentially offering a safer alternative to opioids. 
the experimental drug tanzanub. Let me try that again. Tan tanezubam. That's it. Tanezubam is for the treatment of various pain problems, including chronic low back pain, bone cancer pain, and interstitial cystitis. Tanezubam is part of an investigational class of pain medications known as nerve growth factor or NGF inhibitors. NGF levels increase in the body as a result of injury, inflammation, or in chronic pain states. By inhibiting NGF, the new drug may help to keep pain signals produced by muscles, skin, and organs from reaching the spinal cord and then the brain. The drug has a novel mechanism that acts in a different manner than opioids and other analgesics, including non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs or NSAIDs. The drug has not demonstrated a risk of addiction, misuse, or dependence in studies to date. The study demonstrated that patients who received two doses of tenezumab separated by eight weeks experienced a statistically significant improvement in pain, physical function, compared to those receiving a placebo. Preliminary safety data show that the drug was generally well tolerated with about 1% of patients discontinuing treatment due to adverse events. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration granted fast-track designation for the drug and the studies, which is the first NGF inhibitor to receive fast-track designation. And in other industry news, in an oversimplified world, the term InsureTech is the technology behind insurance. In the real world, however, InsureTech is a term applied to the many segments of new technology that are disrupting the insurance space. The term includes smartphone apps, consumer activity wearables, claim acceleration tools, individual consumer risk development systems, online policy handling, automated compliance processing, and more. InsureTech is not just an increase in the way that technology is disrupting the insurance industry, but is also changing consumer expectations and demands. Take, for example, the way that Uber has changed consumer travel preferences and demands while uprooting a well-established and once thriving industry, taxicabs. Last February, insurance tech startup Cronwell raised $4.5 raised million in a Series A funding round, which the company said will be used to fund the first phase of the company's platform, which covers triage, on-site care, care coordination, and personalized assistance service. The Fort Lauderdale-based company has now launched a pilot program in California, which is aimed to disrupt the state's workers' compensation system with technology-enabled triage and care coordination services. And recently, the mobile platform for workers' compensation will be used by California Farm Management to help in injured farm workers in the state. California Farm Management started in August of 2005 to serve the farming community throughout California. It is a collective of farmers who have pooled their resources to successfully self-insure. 
The CFM Collective provides workers' compensation coverage to approximately 90,000 employees. Cronwell's application is being deployed with one of CFM's largest employers, Cream of the Crop Companies, which employs 5,000 to 7,000 workers depending on the season. The pilot program will use Cronwell's recovery solution, which is addresses on-site injuries and direct care for the best results. Cronwell's AI-powered platform covers triage, on-site care, care coordination, and personalized assistance service for these injured workers. If an employee gets injured on the job, they can go to the Cronwell platform and consult with the healthcare professional who, backed by artificial intelligence, will determine the best course of action by recommending self-care, on-site care, or a healthcare facility. The service also provides follow-ups with the worker and manages the claim. And with that story, that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. And we also publish a daily flash briefing on the Amazon Alexa Echo platform. Search for Workers' Compensation News on Amazon. Again, I'm Renee Fols, an attorney with Floyd Skirin, Manukian Langevin. Thanks for joining us today, and please drop by again next week for more news.